1: Hello and welcome to the first of five in our series on the primary wounds. Today we're going to be talking about abandonment, what it means, how it feels, and how we can process it out of our lives or use it as access to get deeper into our self and our past selves and our shadow self. So stay tuned for a great conversation. You, can you me. Play? You. No! This spiritual fix: Two mystical mamas hacking the self-help game with Anna Stromquist and Christina say
0: Good morning, Anna. Good morning, Christina. How are you?
1: I am doing okay. It's early. It's early, but you are an <laughs> early bird and I'm all about being here for you early in the morning over Zoom as we are remote now with me off in the farm. How are you?
0: Thank you for waking up early. Always, always. So any <laughs> anything new in your world? A lot of it paints me in a very unfavorable light. So maybe we should just go for
1: hey, I'm time. all about the unfavorable lights because I feel like it just like shows our awesome shadow selves, right?
0: I have, I am like, consider myself a very forgiving, kind room for a lot of allowance person. Yeah. But in this last few weeks, I've become extremely rigid regarding COVID Mm -hmm. uh, safety. Yeah. Virus has mutated. I have a lot of sick, uh, sicker patients on my schedule. I just have like no room for socializing with people that are not following CDC guidelines and, and not in the way that I think are appropriate. So I've had to make boundaries with people. And I feel like a total bitch doing it. I feel in some ways I'm left with no choice. If I have to, if I have to put a scale and it says patients' lives on one hand and hanging out with this person on the other, I have obviously I'm gonna choose my patients' lives and safety. But it's just a tough call to make when you kind of look like you are a psychopath, when you're trying to tell people who don't see the guidelines as that important, like, no, listen, I can't hang out with you. And I, and I think I've hurt feelings in doing this. Right. But I, but <sighs> and I, I, I don't this- really like who I am. I don't, I don't, like, I don't like being, a, as a codependent, I don't like making boundaries with people. I, I'm not good at it because I don't have a, lack of, a lot of practice doing it. I come off as cold when I do it, you know, I, I can't warmly make boundaries. I'm very just like, I can't, duh, duh, duh. you know, and it's, it's an just, amazing. Leo I don't quality. like who I am. Yeah, yeah. Like Leo's are very direct and I feel like I'm direct, which is great in a lot of ways, but when it comes to making boundaries and softening the blow, like you can't hang out with certain people uh, I come across as an asshole, so I haven't really liked myself this week, the last two weeks. But I am also trying to accept that I don't like myself.
1: Yeah, that's a really good thing. Yeah, <laughs> it's also it, 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 I mean, acceptance of yourself and the self love for that is important. And I feel like sometimes maybe the harshness comes across because you you created the boundary too late, right? Like you actually wanted to so. create it earlier but you never did because you didn't because of the codependence, right? So by the time you're like, oh my God, I actually really have to put a wall up here. It's like, people are, you know, yeah, it like totally makes sense.
0: Yeah, it's like, kind of like when you, something bothers you, you don't say anything, you don't say anything, you don't say anything. And then suddenly you're like, well, now just shut up, you know, so it's kind of like, I should have been clear What are your, you know, how do you feel about CDC guidelines? What exactly are you doing to stay safe? Like make it more conversational and and kinder, but I didn't want to intrude. And then when it got to the point where it was clear that a certain people in my life were not following the rules, I'm just like, all right, I can't see you. Bye.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's the thing. Most people do not have my patients' lives and my friendships or my social engagements in their balance scale most people by this point a year after the you know year almost almost exactly a year since all of this started here are experiencing different balances they're saying it's my mental health and my sanity and my all these different things versus the small chance that i'm going to do this when they have my, they have better treatments already and they have a vaccine and they have all these different things and herd immunities coming up and you know what i mean like it's such an incredibly difficult calculation for anyone to make right how much they're putting into risk and to then have compassion for somebody else who has a much more riv- rigid calculation in their head, like a much more right. rigid scale in their head. It's just a time for a massive amount of compassion.
0: I think for healthcare workers, everyone listening who is a healthcare worker or knows a healthcare worker, we are still having to make the decision every single day when we go to work. That people's lives are in our hands. And for everyone else who's bored of the pandemic or ready to socialize, doesn't realize that the pressure has been on us more than any other field, I believe. And the pressure has not eased up. If anything, it's gotten worse. And it's just, it's really hard to explain to people, you know, I can't have dinner with you. I just can't. I have to weigh my patients' lives. And they're like, well, <sighs> They're going out to dinner, they're going to the gym, they're they're not seeing it. I would just say the pandemic is a really stressful time for healthcare workers, not just because of the weight we carry to not expose our patients, but because we also have to negotiate social boundaries with people who do not take this pandemic as seriously. And that is really fucking hard. I take my hat off to y'all all the time because you guys see, even if you don't directly see, even if you're
1: not working in a COVID ward, you have still been taught and and conditioned in a good way <laughs> to be aware of germs all the time and be aware of sanitary conditions all the time and be aware of the things that most of us just aren't aware of or don't care about or don't feel the bad consequences of or any of those different things. But for you, you understand entirely if you don't keep a sanitary field when you do something then you can put somebody's life at risk. And you've, you know, and that's, that's, that's a level of empathy that we need to get. Like we can be all good and like cheer on people at the end of the day, like they used to do at the beginning of the pandemic, but the real, the real, you know, gratitude and acceptance of, of healthcare workers and the real understanding is developing the empathy and compassion for the balance scale that they have in their head every single day. I, it, it may not mean yeah. adopting it yourself because that's really intense. And I know a lot of people. I've I've recently seen so many people, uh, friends on social media, just being like, "I have been sheltering in place for a year, and I'm going crazy. I feel like a caged animal. Just like all of these different things, right? Because they, you know, they are taking on the, you know, the stance of like, I'm not going to go out. I'm not going to do anything. And it's like, we're going to learn a lot about mental health from this pandemic. We're going to learn a lot about right. what we need to be okay and what it is that makes us happy and what it is that makes us okay. What what, what brings us above board so that we can keep our head above board at any given day, Um, especially if we're isolated with children or having to multitask or any of those different things. So thank you, Anna and other healthcare workers like you for keeping the balance (laughs) scales in your head of how important it is to maintain safety. It's also important for you to understand when you feel comfortable creating those boundaries, right?
0: Yeah, I think a lesson here for me is my husband says, I love this, he always he always says this to me when I'm being an asshole. Seek to be curious first and clarify first before jumping on the defense or attack, you know? That can be hard because sometimes you just keep swallowing, swallowing, swallowing your desire to communicate with someone clearly. And then it's clear that you're not in alignment with them, and then you're just like explosion. So I'm learning and it will be a never ending process. I'm sure that uh, I need to be more curious and a better communicator. But I also need to love and accept that I am the best version that I can possibly be of myself. And that is also a flawed person. Yeah. And it's okay. Like I have my flaws and they're cute too. <laughs> and yeah. they're lovable too. I need to just like, keep accepting myself, even when I'm an asshole.
1: That's the thing. And, and knowing that the distinction of saying I'm an asshole is just a level of, it almost (laughs) feels, it almost just feels like a level of, uh, I actually feel totally true in my action, but other people are telling me that I shouldn't be. You are loving, it is an act of self-love for you to create a boundary. It is always an act of self-love in this dual world for you to create a boundary Right. And the more, and when you say, I need to become a better communicator, like, I feel like it's just another way of saying, I need more self love because I need to create that boundary sooner.
0: I mean, okay, here's the thing I shouldn't feel guilty about my boundaries. I should maybe not feel guilty, but I can understand that my delivery of the boundaries isn't the best. I love myself enough to recognize my boundaries are good and I respect those boundaries. I don't love myself enough yet to say, or maybe it's just a, maybe it's just like a really healthy dose of reality to be like, you need to work on your delivery of your boundaries. Yeah. 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 Anyways. So what Christina? No, thank you for sharing
1: that, Anna. I feel like that's really important because I've felt like an asshole so many different times these last couple of weeks. And, and oh my God, I think. I can understand the whole codependence thing because I struggled a lot with, and I've, I've mentioned it um, on the bonus episode that we put up, but you know, that my codependence since coming out to the farm has been, was really bad when I was moving because I wanted the world to be fine and perfect. And I wanted everyone to work at the speed and intensity that I was. And that just wasn't happening. My husband got injured with a really bad dislocation and then everyone else just works at their pace. And i started to recognize how much resistance was creating it was draining my energy the resistance to the now and, and accepting it and accepting that i wanted it to go faster and it wasn't going faster was just happening and ever since then i've been finding that my codependence has um dissipating a lot out here like i feel like that's I great i don't know what it is um, my friend described it as white space like white space in a document or white space on a whiteboard. It's like, I'm, I'm attributing it to that at this point, but, I, um, cause
0: you're in nature.
1: Yeah. There's just more room for things. Right. So my kids, I used to, to have to like create like a distance between myself and my kids because I knew that if I was around them for too much, I would get angry. Well, I think I've actually been recently reading about this thing called rejection. I'm never going to actually remember the right acronym. It's like rejection, dysphoria, rejection, something dysphoria. It's a, it's a thing of ADHD, which I'm kind of becoming more and more realizing that I may have been diagnosed as mild ADHD my whole life, undiagnosed and this rejection dysphoria, whatever. I don't want to call it anything in particular because it may not be this and I'm self-diagnosing, but it's just this entire idea that like the idea of somebody interrupting you when you're actually concentrating or the idea that whenever you have an experience where like you just get angry really, really quickly. And I read this article this week and I just felt like, I kind of felt like I could love and accept myself a little bit more because I was like, okay, well, maybe I have that. And if that's the case, then- and maybe I don't, but I'm glad that there's actually some dysphoria syndrome thing that like can help explain a little bit of my behavior. I don't know.
0: My dad was telling me, because I was telling my dad about my PMDD, premenstrual dysphoria disorder, dysmorphic disorder. And I was telling him, well, it might not even be that. Like it could be PME, which is premenstrual Observation. Um, exacerbation disorder where like whatever you have, whatever underlying mental health issue you have just gets exacerbated in the PMS period. And he goes, you know, ADHD is very under-researched like all things regard like women's health. He's like, this is very under-researched in women. And a lot of the symptoms you're describing are, are, are how women experience ADHD. Um, really? So it's just, it's, yeah, it's just very fascinating. Yeah, I don't yet know what I have. I, I, I thought I had PMDD and I might have PMDD, but I might have PME with an underlying ADHD or underlying anxiety disorder. I don't know what I have. I just know that things get very hard to manage without meds the week before my period. Yeah,
1: I had a friend who had a mm-hmm. schizophrenic son. He'd gone through the system multiple times without getting actually helped for anything. And so she was a very spiritual person. And she's like, I'm just going to research how you could maybe treat this differently. And well, while medicating and stuff like that, but how could I like, you know, what could I possibly do differently? And there are a bunch of books out there about how you can treat autism differently and how you can treat schizophrenia differently and how you can like, I mean, it comes across as heal, especially um, schizophrenia. That's a result of, of drug use that that there's evidence that you know LSD trips and all these different things obviously you could consider the pseudoscience at this point which we'll talk about next time but that there's evidence i think there's actually articles the evidence that says that that these things can be treated and interesting in interesting and different ways she was doing this years and years ago and one of the things she told me was that mental health issues are actually just different patterns that our brains have And that if we say that there's a healthy brain and then there's an unhealthy brain, it's a really, really bad stigma to keep up, right? And I've always recognized that like being psychic and intuitive in another time or in a time in which if I was brought up in a system of psychology and psychiatry, I literally would have been medicated to death or or burned or burned or anything like this. And I just have to like love and accept wherever I am with whatever I want to diagnose myself with. It helps anything. All it does is it brings awareness to the fact that this is a thing. And if I do have this thing, then it makes it easier. But all it does is it expands my self-love. And that's all I wanted to say about it is that by recognizing that I by by even by just giving something a name, I can love myself more because I can be like, Oh, well, this is a thing, and this is a different pattern in my brain that may be experiencing. And so I'm just going to love that more. And then it just goes, it, it goes away. It dissipates it. it it's weird. It's, um, it's interesting how that works. Anyway, that's a lot of hot chaff.
0: <laughs> what are yeah. we talking about well, today? <laughs> today we're talking about, we're going to do a little series here, a five episode series on the primal wounds. There are five primal wounds abandonment, rejection, humiliation, injustice, and betrayal. Mm -hmm. And we all have all of them in us. And some are stronger than others. And some come out at different times in our lives. Our teacher, who you can check out information on him and our bonus episode on him, S. N. Goinka, has a beautiful, beautiful teaching, which is that when you're doing work on yourself and deep work, his specific actually analogy is a silo, like a silo with rocks and boulders in it. And as you skim off the top, you might reveal a deeper boulder within. So never believe that just because you uncover some quote unquote crap inside you, that it's a regress. It's actually progress. Like you might be doing a lot of deep work on yourself and suddenly you wake up and you're suddenly face to face with this deep, big wound, your abandonment wound, your betrayal wound, whatever. Do not think of it as regress. It is progress because if you hadn't pulled off the surface level stuff, like the little pebbles, you wouldn't have gotten to see the boulder or you might be working on with rocks and boulders and then, and then you come to more pebbles, but there's like almost this never ending silo. And just remember if you are doing deep self-help work, deep healing, and you suddenly come across a huge boulder it is progress. It was there anyways. Okay. You didn't like create it. It was under the surface and you found it. And so now you can work on it. And it can come off. So I just want to put that preface out there because a lot of times we're dealing with these wounds and we think I've done it. I'm over it. I got my betrayal wound down. And then like six months later, two years later, boom, someone betrays you, you infer betrayal and you're right back where you were before, but you're not, you've just uncovered a deeper boulder.
1: I also like the spiral analogy. I use that a lot with my clients. It's the idea that you start off on a certain part of the spiral. So, say uh, there's a clock, like, so if you were looking at it from above, like nine o'clock on the clock would be betrayal wound, right? And as you spiral up, you get to nine o'clock every single time you do a, a rotation of the spiral, like every single time that you cycle around you get to nine o'clock. So you get back to betrayal, but you know, you're spiraling up in theory, right? Like up, down, whatever you, it's all kind of an illusion, but you're progressing. Like you said, you're progressing like, and therefore every single time you get back to nine o'clock, which is the betrayal wound, you may experience it greater or lesser or something like that, but that doesn't mean that you're not still in a movement. You're not just going, it's not a two-dimensional plane. You're not just going around the clock and oh, here comes nine o'clock again. Oh, here comes nine o'clock again. There's another axis, which is actually showing you that you're making that progress.
0: Well, we're gonna to talk today, the first one we're gonna talk about in this episode is of the abandonment wound. So when we experience any kind of trauma in our childhood or anywhere in our life, We can infer whatever wound we could say we're destined to feel. So say my mother dying, I inferred abandonment. I inferred she has abandoned me. She's left me. Someone could easily be in that situation and infer injustice. This is not fair. All my friends have their living parents. I don't. This is unfair. And Christina, you're a great example. Your mom died. You inferred it as betrayal. My mom's body has betrayed her. The point is the stimulus is going to be what the stimulus is. It's the meaning we give it. And so we ourselves put the meaning on it. So we ourselves are putting betrayal, abandonment, whatever on it. Yep. So I just, want to, I just want to preface it with that because you, you don't have to look at your life and think, well, this happened, you know, so-and-so cheated on me, therefore I should have a betrayal. Well, no, you could have felt injustice by that. You, yep. you know, you didn't have to feel betrayal just because the act was quote unquote betrayal.
1: Right, whatever. right. And what's interesting is, you know, to get into like just a slight thing is that, Some people could ask the question, why do I give something a certain label? And it could be that you're spiraling up from a past life, right? Maybe you're always hitting out, like, why did you hit? Why did you interpret this as betrayal? And it could be that your spiral is coming from a different life. That's a really far off explanation. Another explanation could be, why didn't I, my affair feel like betrayal? Well, maybe that's because you were still, you know, you were sitting in your abandonment. You were sitting at 12 o'clock, which is where abandonment was sitting. When the affair came up, there was a rock of abandonment under there that was coming up in your spiral. And you chose to interpret it as, as 12 o'clock as abandonment,
0: right? Right. So I'm going to talk about the abandonment wound. I'm going to talk about origination of it. And then what I have done to heal mine. And when I say heal mine, it's not like I've healed it and it's done. There are more boulders and pebbles under the surface. I feel like I can recognize it better and when it does come up, I can love it and accept it. And because of that, there's less resistance that it falls off the surface faster. But I'm still I'm still going to have abandonment stuff and it's it still comes up. I'm not saying, "Oh, look at me. I'm a I'm a guru. I've mastered my abandonment wound." No, I haven't. But I have done some deep work and I can show you what's worked for me. So Going back to the abandonment wound, the abandonment wound has a mask. So each, basically the ego hates pain, <laughs> the mind hates pain. So it says, this sucks. Let me figure out a way to avoid it. So what does the abandonment wound do to avoid pain? It creates dependency. Let me hook onto someone then, then they can't abandon me. And it might not even be um, another person. So people with abandonment wounds might also become addicted to things. But basically, if you have an abandonment wound, the mass being codependency, and I, I briefly discussed it in, a, in another episode, that codependency is not what you necessarily think of like, oh, I'm going to marry a, an alcoholic or a man in prison. You know, I'm going to marry someone or, or be emotionally involved with someone unavailable. It's more like, I'm a codependent. I'm afraid of abandonment. I don't wanna lose anyone. So I'm going to make myself indispensable so that they will not leave me. I will self-abandon myself in order to be so indispensable. I'm gonna be just the the most amazing person that they want me to be. I'm gonna figure out what they want and I'm gonna deliver it. And I'm gonna abandon myself in doing it. I'm also going to focus on healing them and fixing them so that they don't ever wanna leave me. And I'm gonna focus on fixing and healing them But not heal and fix myself and then expect them to heal and fix me and then be super pissed when they don't it's also a a game of i'm going to pretend that i'm emotionally available and i want intimacy but i'm really actually scared of intimacy so i will find someone who's unavailable in some way so that i don't have to actually ever be intimate but i can pretend that i want to be and so a lot of people with abandonment wounds have grown up in a home where a parent was absent or abandoned them. And it doesn't have to be through death. It can be through workaholism, mental illness, emotional unavailability, neglect. Like there's 101 ways for someone to abandon someone while they're still alive. You know, you got that going on. So the main issue with the codependent is fear of being alone, fear of being left, fear of being abandoned. Is there anything? Keep going. No, that's amazing. No,
1: that's an amazing, I I was just like marveling at your explanation of codependence. Like you can tell that you've looked at it to such a massive degree. So (laughs) keep going. (laughs) Okay.
0: Now I'm going to talk about how I removed a huge boulder of my abandonment or, and just became more aware of it. So our shaman Robbie is anti-drug, anti-alcohol. So when I tell this story, please understand I was not under the influence of drugs in any way, but Robbie has has shown Christina and I that inside of us, we have what is called the dragon or a dragon. And it's kind of like our wild woman self. So I was going on a walk one day and I, I was talking to my higher consciousness, which I'll explain how to do that in another episode. But I was talking to my higher consciousness and I said, I really want to understand my abandonment wound. You know, what can I do? And I got the answer, summon your dragon. So I'm walking and I'm like, all right, let me summon my dragon and poof out of the blue. I see, you know, how a snake swims like this, like a, like an S on the, on the, um, horizontal plane. Well, it came swimming like a vertical, on the vertical plane, you know, beautiful, beautiful dragon came cool. Yeah. Yeah. And riding on its back was me. It was the wildest version of me. It was me as if I had never worn sunscreen. So my skin was tan and leathery. I was shirtless, my hair had never been dyed, so I had never worn makeup. So my hair was just like you know, gray and frizzy and long. It was like the most wild, and I wanna say virginal, but like untainted, untamed version of me. And she was holding in her hand a trident and she shows up and she's me. And I'm like, whoa, this is like the fiercest, most powerful version of me. And uh, whoa, like she's awesome, fearless. And I'm like, what do I need to do to integrate you more into my world? Like, how can I be more like you? Like, how can I be abandonment proof basically strong? She tells me, and this is like, I feel like hearing this might come across as hateful or, or selfish, but it's not at all the intention. She says to me, she says to be more like me or to integrate me more, you have to be okay with letting go of your children and your husband. Because in my fear of abandonment, I also have a fear of abandoning others. It's like an inverse. And I'm so scared that if I'm totally free and wild, that I would like leave my responsibilities behind. And she's like, you have to be okay with the idea that... Of leaving your children, not in the sense of like I'm gonna pack up and leave, but like I'm gonna die. I'm gonna die and leave them behind and and abandon them like my mom abandoned me, and she made me like imagine a world where my children didn't have me, and it was so hard, and I was crying, and it was the hard. It was probably the hardest like mental image exercise I've ever done, like imagining. Me leaving my children. And she reminded me of that Khalil Gibran quote, which is, Your children are not your children. They're life's longing for themselves. They come through you, but not from you. And she's like, You have got to trust your children. You have got to see that your children are going to be okay without you. Like, your children come from the creator and they're going to be fine without you, just like you're fine without your mom. Like, you are ultimately, your children are stronger than you think, and you need to be okay with leaving them. And I did that and it was really hard and I was crying, but at the end of it, I was like, you know what? My kids are going to be okay without me. They are resilient and they have themselves to, to fall back on. And it was like facing that ultimate fear of abandoning my kids. I feel like I really made peace with abandonment and realized like my kids are going to be okay without me. Does that make sense? It, It wasn't, it was this yeah. sense of like, they're going to be okay without me. So it's okay. Like I just felt this piece of like, it's okay. Ultimately it's okay. No, I will never abandon my kids. No, I have no plans of dying. No, I have no plans of leaving them, but just to just be okay. Knowing that if God forbid it happened, they're going to be okay. They belong yeah. to life. They're not, they don't belong to me.
1: That's exactly it. Right. And by thinking that we can prevent trauma in our child children, even though it's, to a certain extent, there are actions we can do that prevent trauma, but, but thinking that we are responsible for protecting our children from life, whether that includes, you know, things that they have prescribed in their life, like whether it was before they were born or whatever, like think about how the, the pain that both you and I have experienced has propelled us into our spiritual path. Imagine denying that to your children, like that then becomes their own path, but it's like, it, it's not about like you said, they belong to life, and they deserve to experience life and everything that it has. And if we take possession of them and say, "Well, we're going to keep you in a box and protect you from all of this, even our own abandonment of you," then it's kind of right. it's it's denying them the life that they came here to experience. Um, yeah, that's again, that's that's even a harsher view than whatever you can say. And I think it's interesting reflecting back on what you said, Anna, of like. Um, And you said this to me last night when you were talking about discussing this part is that it feels so socially unacceptable for a mother to ever consider not being with her children, right? Like, it's like, it's one of those things that, that we internalize as mothers, that the whole thought of us ever not wanting to be a mother or purposely leaving our children is like the greatest sin possible. And yet sometimes that exercise whether it's actually doing it or not even if it's just in your head gives you the freedom and autonomy to recognize that you are your own person and that right. motherhood is really fucking hard and sometimes yeah. if you deny yourself in that experience if you des- deny your wild woman if you deny your the essence of a part of you to become a mother then you are denying yourself and you're not giving your children the model that they need because you want your children to have their whole selves. So you have to show your whole self. Yeah, I want
0: them to ride their dragon. I don't want it to be outside of them. I want it to be in them.
1: And by dissociating you riding your dragon, they don't see that part of you. And so they don't understand they have it in themselves. So the best model we can be is our whole selves, whether or not that whole self says, hey, yeah, there's a part of me that could maybe leave you.
0: Another exercise the my dragon me had me do was she had me, it must've been on a different day. I can't remember. I would have had the emotional capacity to do both of these on the same day, which was, she was like, I want you to imagine your husband behind a pane of glass and he can't hear you. And I imagined I was separated by a very thick piece of glass and that he could not hear me or see me on the other side, but I could see him. I couldn't hear him. And it was like this age progressive thing where he got like older and sicker in front of my eyes. And I was on the other side of the glass and I could do nothing to help him. And I watched him die. And it was really fucking hard being cut off from your husband, not being able to help him or be with him and have him leave you through death and recognize that you are okay. Like you've got your own back. You've always had your own back. You will always, you were, you, you were a whole person before you met him. You are a whole person with him and you will be a whole person without him. And it was just kind of recognizing that like I, I wrap up so much of my identity in taking care of others and to recognize that I can exist without them. I think it makes me actually even love them more because if I'm autonomous, I can honor their autonomy too. Um, So that was one way that I really, I think, got a big chunk of my boulder out. Another way was, which we're going to link in the show notes, was this rejection-proof deep, deep, deep hypnosis to the inner child by Marissa Peer, which was dealing with the rejection wound, but it was the same concept, which was like you take your inner child in your arms and you say, you are mine. I am your parent now, and I get to decide what you feel or don't feel. And I'm never going to leave you and I'm never going to reject you. And I'm just like, when in these moments of my life where I do feel micro, micro trauma of a, abandonment, like my husband is going to go on, ba- on a trip without me. And it's totally logical that he's going on a trip and he's not leaving me. I, I get this pang in my chest. Oh my God, he's leaving. He's abandoning me. And I have, I stop and I, and I tell myself you're feeling abandonment and it's okay. And I will never leave you. I, me. I will not leave you. I am your parent and I will always be with you.
1: <sighs> wow.
0: Good work. <laughs> yes. So Chris, I know you, like all the wounds, have a, have an abandonment wound. Can you I tell do. me a little yeah. bit about yours and what you've done? Yeah. So I, I feel like I, I in
1: some ways, when I started the work, I went through all five of the wounds and I can, I'm going to talk about that, um, in the rejection episode more, but I went through all five of the wounds, uh, in this whole kind of process last year. And I kept kind of thinking that I had dealt with abandonment, which is really funny because to me, it was like what I was so acute for me after my mom died and like kind of going in the, in the years after that, uh, you know, and so for some reason, I kind of was like, I've, I've done that. I don't really need to go into that. But then Anna was going through, this is the amazing thing that Anna and I go through these parallel journeys, right? Anna started talking <laughs> to me about codependence. I had never actually understood what that meant. Like I'd never, I'd never read anything about it. I had never understood anything about it. And I started to recognize that even though my codependence is tinged a lot with control, which is betrayal, is like the betrayal mask is control But I started to recognize so much of what Anna was saying. Like what would happen is that like Luke, my husband would go uh, to the grocery store and he's um, a very systematic research kind of guy. So when he goes to the grocery store, it's like an hour and a half to two hours because he's literally reading every single label every single time. Like it's, it's just, yeah, it's (laughs) like but for some reason i i would i would be with the kids and i would just get into this like i would get really scared because of what i mentioned earlier about this kind of like on this kind of scared rage that would come up whenever i was like afraid that i could lose control of my kids or i was like afraid of being alone with my kids not because i thought i would hurt them physically or anything but i was just afraid that if something happened i couldn't handle it like i just I I didn't trust myself for a lot of reasons and I didn't trust other things, but it was all irrational. So whenever Luke left, I was always just like, Oh my God, he has to come back and save me from anything that could potentially happen like this, just total fear of the worst that could possibly happen and how I couldn't handle it. I just assumed I couldn't handle it by myself. And so he would go on these grocery marathon grocery trips And I I would get so, I get so upset because sometimes you go to like multiple stores too, because he was just trying to cater to my needs. Like literally this man is like amazing and is like, I have to go to the farmer's market because she wants this. And now I have to go to Publix because we have to get cat food that I have to go to like, he would just like be so thorough in his action that I, I, you know, but I would be sitting there where's Luke? Where's Luke? Where's Luke? Where's Luke? Luke? Like, just like, because he's not a big communicator either. Right. So he would be going to all these stores and I'd be like, oh my God, he's not here. And I would get so bleeping angry with him. I would just be like, he's not communicating with me. He doesn't love me. He's left me. He's abandoned me. He's abandoned me to whatever is possibly going to happen here. It was like the neuroses around the feelings that I felt when my husband was doing something that needed to be done and (laughs) and didn't tell me when he was going to be home. And I flipped. I just like, I, I just, I felt so scared, scared of what could happen. And I didn't think I didn't trust myself and I didn't. And like I said, I need to be really clear. It's not that I didn't trust myself because I thought that I was going to do something like physically bad, or I was going to do something. I just, I didn't keep trust myself to keep my cool. Okay. Yeah. You could say that's like an emotionally abusive thing to yell at your kids, but don't, I don't, don't consider myself don't over that. <laughs> judge yourself
0: here.
1: Yeah, I won't. I won't. I just like, I'm just like, oh, you yeah. could totally go down that rabbit hole if I didn't trust myself with my kids because I thought I was going to yell at them. But also that stems very t- like, closely to what we were saying earlier of like this belief that you can traumatize your kids. So the moment for me for this abandonment wound was in codependence was amazing because Anna told me, that about codependence. And I was like, Oh shit, I might have that. Right. Yeah. I we were be- like, we
0: must have it.
1: <laughs> Wait, it's gotta be here somewhere. Like, where is it? Yeah, it's somewhere, it? It's somewhere in my little drawer trunk thing of everything. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> and we went to our place in Atlanta, Jeju sauna, and it was during COVID, but we were very careful. I'm just going to say that, like Anna's got her, ma- her mask and her shield and I had my mask on and and Anna told me about an experience that, that she had recently had when she broke through her codependence thing with her husband. And Anna, do you want to s- explain kind of the story that you gave me when we were at JG? Oh, the, yeah.
0: the story is my husband went out to dinner with the one person on this planet that I do not like. <laughs> <laughs> and I was so upset and I felt so abandoned because he took this man to my favorite restaurant, <laughs> And I'm like, how could you take him of all people to my restaurant, our special restaurant? He's like, like, I didn't know you owned it. (laughs) I didn't know that was, uh, you know, your restaurant. And I'm like, how could you do this? And I was like, convinced my husband had abandoned me, uh, left me at home with the kids while he ate dinner with this person that I like could not, you know, could not, a person who On another day, I'll explain how I ho'oponopono'd and forgave him and all, but I don't naturally have to interact with him regardless. But the point is, I felt extremely abandoned by that. And I was really angry at my husband and he took me in his arms. He's like, I have room for you to throw all your anger on me and I have room for you to blame me every time you're unhappy. And I'll be there and you can do it to the end of time if that's what you need to do. But for your own sake, I hope you see that you are in control of your own happiness and you get to see that when you're upset, it's because you're upset. It's actually not because of me. And if you want to blame me for your upset, go ahead. But I want you to know that your upset belongs to you.
1: Yeah. He said, he said Is that you have more. He's like, you have more pain than almost anyone I've ever met. He said something along those lines. And it was oh, that yeah. line that I like internalized myself, right? Because we're so similar. Yeah. I was just like,
0: oh my God. Yeah. You have more pain inside you than anyone else. And if you want to throw it on me and blame me for it, you can. But I want you to own your own pain. I will hope for you one day you own your own pain and realize like you're in control of your own pain.
1: yeah. and man, when I heard that, it was like I didn't even need for my husband to tell me that because my husband had just told me that through you, right? Like it was like i I, I have this belief that we're all in the same, like everyone's in our garden, and like. Eric telling Anna that was the same as Eric telling me that or the same as Luke telling me that like it was just it was exactly what Luke could have said to me and I got it I just understood it I just understood that every time I tried to control him or every time that I tried to blame him for not communicating with me I was expecting him to be the savior of my pain I was expecting him to save me because I didn't want to have to experience the pain and scared and abandonment that I felt when he wasn't around or even when he was around. And I just, I just like, I got it. I got it for the first time ever. And I remember after that, I explained to Luke, I was like, it was like something changed in me in that moment that you told me that story. And I came home to Luke and I was just like, I am. So sorry, I'm so sorry for throwing my pain onto you and saying that it's you who is causing me pain. And actually, it's me. Like this whole time, it's just yeah, it's just me. It's me projecting out the pain that I am scared, and, and, and the realization that I am scared to death most of the time. I, I lost, I, I was abandoned at a time in which, and then I was never. That was never replaced. It was arguably never there in the first place. And I just felt as if the world would never take care of me. And I was scared to death to grow up, to actually be like, oh, I am my own parent. And so after that, I did the similar um, hypnosis that you did with recognizing that I couldn't, that that I was my own parent. And then I could grow up and, and do what I needed to do for that. And I have to say that, it was a combination of that. And then work I did with A Course in Miracles and kind of recognizing that you could never, that I could never be abandoned, not because I could never be abandoned because I was my own parent, but also because I'm already perfect. And so is everybody else. So that's, that was me. That was my uh, story of abandonment and how much Anna's parallel work that she had been done doing, she was a couple of weeks ahead of me in this process. It just it broke everything open for me. So had a thank, you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you,
0: boulder. Thank you, Eric. I just had a bigger boulder. <laughs> well, well, thank you, Eric, too. You know, for like putting up with me throwing it on him. Because a lot of I think a lot of couples, when one person is struggling with a boulder and they're throwing trying to throw it on the other one, they're like, "That's not my boulder. Get it off me!" And he's like, "You can throw it on me, but." it's ultimately not going to help you to do that.
1: Yeah. Or, or their boulder starts to resonate. And then you guys are both like bouldering at the same time. So to speak. right. Right. And that's the Two thing. Boulders
0: I think pushing against each other.
1: I think that both of, both of us are blessed with partners who for one way or another have, have gone through a lot of their stuff. Like that was actually something that happened right after that was that I kind of explained this realization to Luke. And as I've said before, like, um, Luke is sober and he said, oh yeah, I mean, this had a lot to do with the betrayal wound, but he's like, oh yeah, I figured out as soon as I stopped drinking that I couldn't control anything. <laughs> that was just like,
0: oh, wow. you figured that out when you were yeah. 22, right? Oh, great, okay, <laughs> or 20, yeah. If you're struggling with codependency, don't worry so much about the codependency, heal your abandonment stuff. Cause if you can heal your abandonment stuff, the codependency falls off. The codependency is a coping mechanism to keep you from feeling your pain. And when you're able to realize that you can deal with your pain because you are not going to leave yourself and you are not going to abandon yourself and you've got this, the codependency just falls off because you stop needing other people to save you.
1: The, the thing is, is that it's all about self-love. We always talk about that. The bottom of the bucket is self-love and the wounds are access points to recognize how you're not loving yourself fully and you're not accepting yourself fully. And I think that as you know, when all of this comes down to it, if you're in the middle of a process, if you're in the middle of recognizing that you have, that you're uncovering some sort of trauma or some sort of whatever is like, always go back to self-love. Whenever I've been in the middle of one of these processes and it's been really hard and I feel really down or depressed or like I get some kind of offshoot feeling I just repeat, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you in my head. And it becomes a mantra that just like, that helps get through any process. Cause that's ultimately what we're aiming for is total self-love. Right.
0: So, yeah. That's I like thought. that.
1: Yeah. Thank you for listening to this episode of this spiritual fix. Today was the first of the five primary wounds Please tune in next week as we go through rejection and be sure to visit our website, thisspiritualfix.com, for helps with processing. And remember, humility, gratitude, acceptance, done. Book a free call with me at wwwchriswilseycom forward slash discover.